Okay, if you open up to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm just going to recap what we covered last week and then get into uh, uh, verses, start go up to uh, verse 17 and start moving on from there. And uh, if you just close the... But, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever it is you do when you pray, and uh, just join me in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and um, we love that you've made us a family, a body of believers, and that your spirit indwells each and every one of us, and it indwells our church. And so I pray, Lord, that as we've been studying this passage, that you would help us to be united Yet you would help us to also appreciate and acknowledge the different gifts that we have so that we would be united in one body, but like a healthy body, you have many different members um, working for your glory. And so I pray, Lord, we would not have our own agendas, that the only agenda we would have would be the kingdom of God. The only mind that we would have would be the mind of Christ. And so, Lord, help us to be all that you called us to be. Help our church to equip the saints for service. That's what we're supposed to do. And um, and so I just pray, Lord, that as I preach your word, that it would be your word, your truth that is proclaimed, that you would anoint me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word, to understand it, and the power of the Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our lives so that we can be pleasing in your sight. And you called us, Lord, as individuals to serve you, but you also called us corporately as a church, a body of believers to serve you. And so may we speak the truth in love and, and disciple others and be all that you called us to be using our, our gifts through your power, and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to just kind of review a little bit, real quick, uh, starting at Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Now, um, remember the first three chapters of Ephesians we talked about doctrine, Bible teachings about our position in Christ who we are in Christ, okay? Uh, And then chapters 4 through 6, Paul talks about, okay, now here's the true doctrines. Now you have to apply. Here's how to apply those truths, okay? And uh, and verses 1 through 6 of Ephesians 4 talked about the unity of believers. 7 through 16 talks about the maturity of believers. How by using our, our gifts... And uh, by, by sitting under biblical teaching and the work of evangelists and pastor teachers, we can mature and speak the truth in love. And now verses 17 through 32 are going to talk about the, um, the purity uh, of believers, uh, how we should live. And we're, we're new creations in Christ, so we should live that way. So I titled this message, You're Not Who You Used to Be. And Satan is going to try to convince us that, no, you're the same guy you were, you know, decades ago before you got saved. No, you're not who you used to be. You're a new creation in Christ. You need to start acting that way. Okay? And so I'm just going to run real quick through verse, take it at verse 11 so we get the context here. Verse 11 And he himself, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And in the the Greek, it's pretty much, we would hyphenate that, pastor teachers. And so Christ gave some to be apostles and prophets. We learned it from Ephesians 2. That was the form, the foundation of the church. Okay? So we no longer have people with full-blown apostolic authority or prophets like the prophet Isaiah who speaks for the whole church throughout the ages. Uh, God might give a prophetic word for a specific body of believer or for the church for a specific time. Lord knows we need more of those. Um, But the apostles and the New Testament prophets, they were to give us the word of God and build that foundation. Now you test 
a church to see if it's a church that's pleasing to the Lord, you test that church. Are they uh, preaching apostolic doctrine? So it's apostolic doctrine, apostolic teaching. Are they a biblically, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church? Okay, And are they applying what the Bible says to what's going on in the world today? Okay, uh, a lot of churches just don't want to go there. They don't want to get in trouble. But it's, it's, hey, you know, if God's word says something and our culture is going against it, we've got to warn the people. Okay, and um, so whatever the case, it's apostolic doctrine, not apostolic succession, which the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, even the Anglican Church among the Protestants think that it, all that's important is who laid hands on you passing through. And then, no, it's, I mean, look at the Jewish rabbis and then look at the Old Testament priesthood. When they weren't sticking to God's word, God pretty much removed them. Okay? And, um, and so what we want to know is, is a, is a church, is a believer Bible-believing? Are they Bible-preaching? Are they applying that truth to their lives? Okay. And um, so the apostles and prophets formed the foundation. We still have evangelists. Most of the, the really radical evangelists are, are missionaries, preaching the gospel where it's never been preached before. Okay. But uh, uh, we also have sometimes evangelists will speak to large crowds of people like Billy Graham. Um, and there's got to be follow-up. You're just planting seed there, to be honest with you. You might have the gift of evangelism. Where God's given you the supernatural ability to lead people to Christ, to share the gospel message with them. But we live in a day and age where if you could just plant seed with somebody, that's a major victory right there. If you could talk to somebody for 30 seconds about Jesus and not have them screaming at you, uh, you did pretty good. Uh, that's how bad off our, our culture is right now. And then uh, as we lead people to Christ, we get them in Bible-believing churches. The pastor-teacher, pastor means that the pastor is supposed to be a shepherd. I love that the people in, in this church, and it's been that way for 33 years, are very patient with me because my leadership skills aren't really that great. And um, I think we got a few bumps in the road about uh, the transition moving into this church, and I think a lot of that falls back on my shoulders. And um, But as a shepherd, we want to ground you in the truth. We want to refute heresy. But if you've got needs, we've got to also try to be there for you. And we're not the biggest church in the world, but maybe we can help out. You know, people are going through struggles and um, don't always share it with us. But, but if you're hurting and you need some help, let us know. Maybe we can help. Maybe we can help a little. Maybe we can help a lot. Uh, but... Uh, pastors who are also to, to be teachers, teachers of the word. And so Christ gave these gifts to the church. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So why were these gifts given to the church? To equip the saints for service, and that builds up the body of Christ. Okay. So it's not the job of the, the clergy to do the ministry. It's the job of the clergy to equip people to use the gifts God has given them to do the ministry. So 99.9% .9 of the ministry of a church ought to be from the people in the church who have been equipped um, by the pastor. And this is NFL football is really, it's the exact opposite of the church. Because NFL football, you practice all week, and then the, church, the game is on, the real thing is on Sunday. For us, we train on Sunday, and it's the rest of the week is the real thing. That's the real battle, okay? And we want to help you more. Believe me, you know, I'm reading a book right now about how the churches survived and thrived in the old Soviet Union, how they thrived and survived in, in China, and in many other communist regimes, and it was all done in small secret groups. Okay? So, as I train the people in this church, you need to then 
go out. And there's, everybody's got somebody in their mission field. It might be uh, your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your co-workers, your neighbors. Everybody's got somebody in your mission field. You are on a mission from God. You tell that to a psychologist, if they're not a Christian, they're going to tell you you're nuts. If it's a Christian psychologist, they're going to tell you, yeah, if you don't think you're on a mission from God, you're nuts. And um, uh, But the Bible study I'm teaching the guys on Wednesday nights, it's, it's, anybody could teach that study. It's not like you gotta, you got to get a doctorate degree in theology to teach it. It's just navigator studies. We, just, we do homework over the week. You study the passage. And you do a title. You give a title to the passage. You summarize it, and you apply it. And then we share what we learned and talk about that and then get into discussion about the passage and other biblical things. Um, but um, um, we really need to even start thinking about reaching out to our neighbors because there's scenarios that could come down where you can't afford gas or you can't get gas. And so the only church, you know, it's, it's, I, I'd really love us to be... Um, um, Every man a pastor and every home a church. Okay? And, um, um, you know, the days are coming when it's going to be like the old Soviet Union. And uh, the church survived, by the way, 70 years in the Soviet Union and came out of it thriving, even though many of their pastors had been imprisoned and then the guys who took their place had been imprisoned and... Uh, uh, but the church, the work of the Lord, continued to go on. So why does God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers to the church to equip the saints for service, to build up the body of Christ? By the way, the word for service or ministry, please remember, ministry is people. Ministry is people. If either directly or indirectly you're not serving people, you're not really in ministry. Now, having said that, you know, somebody's got to be the bookkeeper. Somebody's got to, to, you know, keep the place clean and stuff like that. But you don't just do things for the sake of doing things. You do things to serve people. Okay? So don't think of ministry as a title a full-time job. Uh, don't think of ministry as a, a thing you do. Think of ministry as people you serve. God the Son didn't become a man for stuff. Okay? He didn't come to earth for a title. He's got, he's got, he's got all the coolest titles. Came to earth for people. If we're going to be Christ-like, we're going to be out there serving people. Loving people, loving God with everything we got. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, um... So Trinity Bible Fellowship, our job is to equip the saints for service, for ministry, to serve others, and to build up uh, the body of Christ. And what's the goal there? Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is to bring the church to spiritual maturity. So always keep that in mind. It is not the church's main goal. The church's ultimate goal is not to lead people to Christ. And that shocks a lot of Christians. It's not the goal to lead people to Christ. It's the goal to lead people to Christ and disciple them to maturity. So you lead somebody to Christ, your job just started. Okay? Let's look at the, the physical analogy here. Do we applaud guys and say, hey, that guy is a great guy. He made 15 babies. Never married any of the moms. Doesn't take care of them. He just made a lot of babies. No. We applaud the guys who made one, two, three, four, five, ten babies, stayed in a home and took care of them. 
and help them grow to maturity. Okay? So we got to understand, our goal is to produce mature Christians, which leading them to Christ is, I would like to say leading people to Christ is the first step. To be honest with you, it's probably about the 10th step now. Our world is so far from the church, just planting seed, just making a friend who's a non-believer. Nowadays, the social media, just meeting, meeting a friend that you actually see their face. And nowadays, when you see their face, they got a mask on. You know, um, there's more. Let me tell you, you wear a mask. I'm not saying don't wear a mask. We all got to decide. You know, I got the, this COVID thing. My wife got it. It's a real thing. We all got to decide where we're at on that, okay? But just let me say this. A community, a culture of people who wear masks, it hides more than their face. More than their faces. You know, C.S. Lewis is a whole different topic, but wrote a book, Till, Till We Have Faces. And it, it's kind of, um, we've hidden our souls from each other. And, um, and in, in Marxist regimes, which is what we're heading for right now, uh, you cannot have people intimately share their lives with others. That's a threat to a total, totalitarian regime. And, um, but, um, but the goal is to bring the church to spiritual maturity. And um, look at verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We should no longer be children or easily deceived. Okay? I remember my grandson... Nathan, when he was going to Brownsville Elementary School, they were in like kindergarten or first grade, and my grandson was so happy that I showed up for uh, an event that they were having, and he wanted to introduce me to this real little guy, the smallest guy in the whole class. And he said, oh, my grandfather's here. We can introduce him to so-and-so. And, um, and I was like, why do they got to meet this kid? It sounds like this kid's a rock star. And the littlest guy in the whole class, and he's saying, he, so they said, hey, everybody, this is my grandfather that I told you about. He, was, he used to be in the Marine Corps. And they're like, oh, what wars did you fight? And I said, I didn't fight in any wars. Ronald Reagan got elected. And they're all bummed out. I said, look, I didn't have the authority to declare war. That was somebody else's decision, you know. But then they introduced me to their little friend, the kindergarten guy, who uh, had told his guys that he had gone to, um, I don't know, I think it was Afghanistan to visit his dad in combat. I'm like, where's this going? And then they got attacked, and they had to throw him a gun, and he had to... And uh, so they're telling me this story, and I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this little guy, and his eyes are like this big. He's like, I've been caught, you know? And, and I know these other guys idolized him, all these little kindergarten guys. He was like a rock star, and I was like, what in the world do I say now, you know? And uh, so they introduced me to him. He's like this, terrified this poor little guy, you know. And so I didn't know what to say. So I said, ah, thank you for your service. And, <laughs> and, we, and we shook hands. And, he, and, all, and my grandson, Nate, and all the little boys are like, like that and stuff. And, uh, you know, if my grandson were here to hear this, he wouldn't be embarrassed. Because guess what? Little boys believe in fairy tales. Little girls believe in fairy tales, okay? Um, God has gifted the church with leaders, servant leaders to train them, to bring us to spiritual maturity so that we'll no longer be children who are easily deceived. I, I am shocked at some of the bogus things that phony baloney preachers have preached on television that the evangelical church has bought into. And, um, um, you know, one of the, 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 if you have no lack of faith or unconfessed sin, God's going to automatically make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Hey, look, if, you're, if you love the Lord and you're healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, praise God. But that's not a guarantee for all believers. You might, you might die like John the Baptist without a dime in your bank account. Jesus is not your financial savior. Okay, and we should trust every aspect of our lives to him, 
Okay? Uh, but we should no longer be children who are easily deceived by false gospels. And our culture is filled with these false gospels. Verse 15, since we're to grow to maturity and not be tossed around by false teaching, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And so we are to reach that point where we mature in the Lord and we speak the truth in love. Okay? By the way, if you're going to speak the truth and you're not going to do it in love, you're probably going to cause more damage to the, the Christian mission than good. Okay? But if you're going to try to preach in love without truth, it's going to be some mushy new age, false spirituality kind of love because uh, you have to have both. Okay? We have to speak the truth in, in love. And then the outcome there, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay? So each believer does their share. Each believer does their job. And then the whole body grows in love. Um, the idea, you know, and, uh, you know, the idea that you could have a church of 100 people where 10 people do all the work, that's not biblical. Everybody has a gift, okay? And by the way, your gifts might be doing stuff for Trinity Bible Fellowship. But then again, your gifts might be doing stuff for the kingdom of God at large. You might come to Trinity Bible Fellowship to get equipped, and then you might be called to lead a Bible study um, where nobody else at the Bible study goes to Trinity Bible Fellowship. That's fine. The kingdom of God is bigger than Trinity Bible Fellowship. Okay? And um, so uh, uh, you might have a ministry where you spend the bulk of your time with non-believers, feeding the hungry, counseling them, trying to plant seed. Okay? Uh, but the work that Trinity Bible Fellowship does, and it's not all glamorous. When Pat Fisk is spending hours taking our sermons, editing them, and then putting them online so that hundreds and sometimes thousands of people all over the world can listen to them. That's not, there's not, correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, there's not a group of people that are applauding you and saying, amen, brother. You know, record it, edit it. Yeah, that's, you know. Um, we've got guys in this church that will, you know, when they're serving the Lord, they're underneath somebody's vehicle. Fixing her vehicle. And we don't always appreciate those guys until something goes wrong with our car. Okay? Um, but uh, a healthy, functioning body, every believer does their job what God has equipped them to. So in those passages there, we see that Jesus won the cosmic war as a triumphant, a triumphant warrior. He divided the spoils among his people and gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets to to form the foundation of the church, and then evangelists who lead people to Christ, and pastor teachers who shepherd the flock and disciple and teach them to ground the people, to ground believers in God's word, to equip us for service. Remember, uh, Jesus wants to make us fishers of men. He doesn't want to just make us fish. We follow Jesus to be transformed into leaders. Okay, and um, and servant leaders, uh, but we're to be equipped for service so that we mature in Christ, and it enables us to speak the truth in love. Now that brings us to verse seventeen, and what Paul is focusing on here in verse seventeen to the end of the chapter is that you are not, I am not, who I used to be. You are not who you used to be. And so Paul's going to contrast the believer's walk. He's going to contrast that with the former life. And so he says, therefore, because 
Christ has given these gifts to the church to equip the saints for service. Therefore, uh, he's going to tell us in verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now keep in mind, most people on earth are Gentiles, but the Jews, as the chosen nation of God, they were the only ones who had God's truth for a long, long time. That's why they were to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, okay? And um, so Gentiles became synonymous with the pagans. And, and so Paul's saying, look, uh, because God has equipped us to walk worthy, we're to walk no longer as the Gentiles or the pagans walk. We're set apart for God's holy work, and we should live that way. If we're following the Holy Spirit's leading, it, will, it should be obvious that we're not non-believers. When believers act and live just like non-believers live, it, it's just like, you know, not only should it confuse others, a guy called himself a Christian, I don't think he's a Christian. Um, it should confuse ourselves. We should ask ourselves, hey, wait a minute, maybe 2 Corinthians 13.5, maybe I need to examine myself to make sure I'm saved. Um, and uh, so, uh, but whatever the case, God's people are different from the world. Peter calls us a peculiar people, a strange people. You know, there's no bigger compliment that the world can pay, pay to us than to call us Jesus freaks. Or to call us weirdos. Even the unsaved people that love me think I'm a really kind weirdo. Okay? Um, sometimes they respect you. For that, they say, you really believe Jesus is coming back? And you say, yeah. And sometimes they even say, you know, I can respect the guy that lives consistently with his convictions. But when we don't, when the church doesn't act like the church, when we act like the world, this, this is where everybody says, well, I don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Now, We've got to stop being hypocrites. We've got to practice what we preach. None of us are perfect. But we've got to be obedient to the Lord. Okay? Some of us, this is crazy, some of us should not share our faith. Because we don't practice what we preach. And if we share our faith, we're just giving people one more argument against Christianity. There's another hypocrite. That's one side of the coin. So that should convict Christians. We should not be hypocrites. You know, C.S. Lewis said, the strongest argument, the greatest defense of Christianity is Christians. But the greatest argument against Christianity is Christians. It just depends on what, which Christians you're talking about. Okay? And um, now the other side of the coin, though, is I've never heard a person tell me, I don't go to the hospital because there's a bunch of sick people there. Okay, so there is a certain degree, to one degree or another, since we preach the perfect word, none of us totally perfectly practice what we preach. So there's a little hypocrite in all of us. Okay? None of us have been perfected. We won't be perfected till Jesus comes back. And, um, but just as a person, we'll still go to a hospital, even though there's a lot of sick people there trying to get better. They should come to church. Because there's a lot of hypocritical people trying to become unhypocritical. Trying to live in accordance with God's word. Um, but we've got to live consistently with that. Um, you know, here in this verse, uh, the Gentile, don't walk the way the Gentiles, the way the pagans walk in the futility of their mind. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. This passage was always one of my favorite passages, but... In the last few years, it's just become, you know, something to live by. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now that we're saved, this is, by the way, Paul goes 11 chapters on Bible doctrine in Romans. And then in the 12th chapter, he says, therefore. 
because of this biblical truth and what God has done and the mercy and the grace he's given us and saved us, therefore, and then he tells us the way we should act. And he says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So rather than offering dead animal sacrifices, now we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. You do need to take care of your body. You do need to get enough sleep and enough nourishment. Why? So you can live for yourself? No, so you can live for Jesus. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us that he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We need to live for Jesus, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's our reasonable service not going to the temple and offering animal sacrifices anymore. Verse 2, and do not be conformed. Conform means don't be outwardly conformed to this world. Don't be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. The world there, that means the pagan Gentiles, the non-believing Gentiles. Don't be outwardly conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. You are not going to find God's specific will for your life unless you offer your body to God as a living sacrifice and unless you allow your mind to be renewed by the Holy Spirit through the study of God's word, that's the only way you're going to be able to be in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, and to prove what God's good and acceptable and perfect will is um, for your life. But we are not to walk as the Gentiles walk. We are not to be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world, but that we're to be inwardly transformed by the renewing of our minds. When I was reading this, this book, um, um, Live Not By Lies, Marcus, uh, uh, that comes to the Wednesday night study, suggested it for me. And, uh, but over and over again, for the totalitarian state to control every aspect of people's lives, truth becomes, speaking the truth becomes a lie, it becomes a crime. Okay? And you have to speak the truth in, in secret. And you have to be careful not to be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. So there are things that are being taught right now that are lies. The people who promote them know that they're lies, but it's a way to get votes, get power, control people, and overthrow the United States government. Okay? Uh, let me tell you, to you know, you could say, well, this, we're not supposed to be talking about politics. Just, just preach the word. I am preaching the word. But totalitarian regimes try to play God. It's, it's what I call the deification of the state. And when the state deifies itself, when the state plays God, okay, um, it forces you to worship the state. This is why Jesus said, whose head is on this coin? They said, whose image is on this coin? They said, Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, pay your taxes, be a good citizen, and give to God what is God's. What is implied there? It's implied that when Caesar demands what rightly only belongs to God, you say no. And, um, um, but our world, the pressure to conform outwardly to the pattern of this world, the pressure... Uh, to walk like the Gentiles walk is going to become stronger and stronger and stronger. Okay? There's going to be things that you're going to be asked to do, that you're going to be ordered to do, and then if you don't do them, you can't get a job anymore. You can't travel anymore. Okay? And it's like, no, that could never happen in America. We have free elections. Oh, yeah, a guy named Adolf Hitler got elected in Germany. 
by the most educated people on the planet Earth at that time. Don't lie to yourself that it can't happen here. Not only can it happen here, it is happening here. Okay? And, um, and so we got to decide, uh, are we going to outwardly conform to the world to be accepted by the world? Or are we going to live to be accepted by Jesus? So walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility um, of their mind. Uh, just another passage I want us to look at here before we move on. Uh, Galatians 1, verse 10. Paul knew he was, when he wrote Galatians, he was giving them a message that some would not find uh, a popular message. He's refuting those who contradict, and a lot of people don't like tension, and, and um, they just want the love. They don't want the speaking the truth and love. And, and Paul said this. He knew he was making enemies by saying that we got to stick to the true gospel and not embrace the false gospel. In Galatians 1.10, he said, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see what he's saying is, you can live for the applause of men. But you're not going to please Jesus. Or you can live to please the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But it's, you're probably not going to be too popular in your culture, in the world. And uh, Jesus said in John 15, 18, if you find the world hates you, notice hated me before it hated you. Okay? It just comes with the turf. Some of us here, your friends are going to start thinking you're rotten, you're no good, you're mean, you're narrow-minded, you're bigoted. Come up with all kinds of bad names for you. And you might, if you're like me, you might even go to bed at night wondering, gee, am I really that bad guy? Hey, look... I, I don't I don't find out who I am by looking in the mirror. I don't find out who I really am by talking to my friends. I find out who I am by studying God's word. Amen. God, you know, God's word tells us about Jesus. It tells us about salvation. Okay, it tells us how to mature in Christ. But guess what God's word also does? This is why James could call the law of the Lord, the word of God, a mirror. I learned more about who I am by studying the Bible than by just looking at myself, talking to other people. Okay? And the Bible will tell me who I was before I found Christ. And it's an ugly picture. It's a picture deserving of hell. But then the Bible will also tell me who I am in Christ. And man, that is encouraging. But it's also convicting. Because not all of us who are in Christ live like we're in Christ. Not all of us who are new creations in Christ live like new creations in Christ. With this whole passage, Paul's going to bring us to the point of, of saying that um, the old you is dead. The old man is dead, and now you've got to be the new man or the new lady in Christ. And so, um, uh, verse 17, I'm in the wrong book. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Their, their minds, their goals, their attitudes, their agendas are, are futile. If you don't put on the mind of Christ, you're, you're thinking in a futile way. You're building things that are just going to come down. You're not building rewards in heaven. You're not serving uh, the, the kingdom of God. So 
Uh, we cannot live with this futility of our minds. We, we have to stop walking as the pagans uh, walk. And so he's saying, look, you're new creations in Christ. You're not who you used to be. If you're a new creation in Christ, act that way. Okay? Uh, verse 18, he describes more uh, who they were before they came to Christ. Uh, um, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And so, uh, as, as when we were unsaved, we were darkened in our understanding. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we don't even have time to turn there, but Satan has blinded uh, the hearts of the non-believing. Okay? We're dark, we were darkened in our understanding before we came to Christ. We were excluded or alienated from God, excluded from the life of God. Unbelievers are spiritually dead. Paul pointed that out in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Spiritual life, eternal life, comes only in Jesus. This is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So it's like I like to draw for my students a circle that represents the whole world and then a silhouette of Jesus. And in the silhouette of Jesus, I put life. And outside the silhouette of Jesus and the rest of the world, I put death. Outside of Jesus, there is no, no life. Okay? And, um, and spiritual ignorance. Non-believers are ignorant of spiritual things, of the eternal truths. Okay? Uh, through the Lord Jesus, through God's word, we can receive spiritual enlightenment, spiritual truth, spiritual knowledge. We don't have to be ignorant anymore of spiritual things. You, you realize, you realize that there's some of the most powerful people on the planet Earth have an agenda. They move in circles with billionaires. They've got this demonic idea where they want to rule the whole world. They want to greatly reduce the world's population to make it more manageable for them. And so that uh, the useless eaters, the little worker bees who maintain their global infrastructure so they can fly their jets and land them. Um, Elon Musk is even going so far to say they're not really going to need people. With AI, in the, in the end, they're only going to need enough people so that they don't have to be inbred. The elites that want to rule the world. This is a demonic, uh, demonic way uh, to view reality. But anybody who thinks, yeah, man, this is great. I'm getting closer and closer to toppling United States sovereignty. I'm getting closer and closer to global government. I'm getting closer and closer to being a, a global dictator. I feel like telling these people, like the Bill Gates and the George Soros, Soroses of this world, or the president in the White House right now. I tell you, say, excuse me, do you know you're ignorant? It'd be like, oh, no, I'm a brilliant genius. I'm a mover and shaker. I go to Bilderberger meetings or whatever, part of Club of Rome or CFR, whatever they want to call it. I'm in the know, and I got it all together. And I said, no, no, no. You're ignorant. Now, granted, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble if I tell that, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm speaking the truth. I'm actually speaking the truth in love, to be honest with you. They need to know that they're ignorant. You can know. I mean, Bill Gates' IQ is probably way... Way higher than mine. His bank account is way higher than mine. But Jesus said, what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? As I can say, Bill Gates, if you don't come to Jesus on bended knee, you're ignorant. Okay? We know the king of kings is coming back. Okay? We have the truth. And power-hungry, demonic individuals 
who want to rule over people and can control not only their, their actions, but their speech and their thoughts are going to try to shut us up. And we've got to be wise. Jesus even said, be wise as serpents. Serpents is not usually used as, uh, as something good, but in that context, we've got, we got to be wise. And we've got to figure out ways. How can I continue to proclaim the truth, to speak the truth in love, in a world that loves lies. Okay? But there's so many people out there that have this ignorance. They're, they're ignorant of the most important things, the eternal things, the spiritual things. Okay? There are powerful people that say, you know, Fernandez, we don't have a place for you in our new world order or whatever. Well, Phil Fernandez has to have the courage to say, well, I don't care. I never wanted a place at the table of your new world order. Okay? I want to sit at the king's table. I want to walk with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to walk with my shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And you know what? I don't just want that for me. I want that for other people too. So a big brother comes to power and wants to shut me up. Well, God will decide if you shut me up. or You know, because the kingdom of God doesn't need Phil Fernandez. God doesn't need you. God chooses to use us. But the world's going to try to shut us up. And we just got to preach Jesus till he comes back. You know, don't be, you know, unless God's calling you to go out and get yourself martyred tomorrow, don't go out and get yourself martyred tomorrow. Meet in secret groups, small groups, and this and that. And you can get a growing movement of the underground church but there, there might be a time and a place where God might say, Phil Fernandez, open your mouth and let it fly. And I might say, well, yeah, but Jesus, they're going to lock me up. They might kill me. If God tells you, open your mouth and you let it fly, you open your mouth, you bring it on. Okay? That's not forever. Not everybody's going to be called... Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, not everybody's called a martyrdom. So you, you proclaim the truth, you don't spread lies, you proclaim the truth, but you try to get away with it, and God's going to call some of us to martyrdom and imprisonment, and, um, and others are going to do just fine leading the underground church in secret. But uh, really touch bases with your neighbors, by the way, because... Um, I don't even know if we're going to have gas when this stuff comes down. But whatever the case, um, we're not to be ignorant like the world. We're not to have that hardness of hearts. The spiritual ignorance is caused by the fact of the hardening of the hearts of non-believers who don't respond to the Holy Spirit who's speaking to us and drawing us. You know, the book of Hebrews says, Today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And... Um, Sin will harden your heart, by the way. You could be a believer uh, with a hardened heart if you give in to sin. Then verse 19 in Ephesians 4, who being past feeling, that just described uh, probably the majority of Americans today, or at least a big chunk of Americans are, are past feeling. Um, they're callous. They've lost all sensitivity. They have no problem with killing babies before they're born. They have no problems to make a political statement uh, by beating up people that don't agree with their, their political views. Um, and so, who being past feeling, this is where, like Jesus said, in the last days, man's love will grow cold. That's being um, past feeling. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. 
And so people are callous. They've lost all sensitivity. They become indifferent to moral issues. Their consciences are seared. We, we have people now that will call people names, and they don't even know them. Just because the color of your skin, you're automatically a racist. By the way, our governor um, has mandated that in all the public schools. You have to teach um, that all whites are racist. And um, that's, that's a loss of all sensitivity. That's an indifference to moral issues. Each person should be judged as individuals. Um, and then given over to sensuality. Um, you know, we see this. We'll talk more about verses 18 and 19. But Christ's teachings... You know, verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're saying, I'm not going to be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. I'm going to be inwardly transformed by the renewing of my mind. Because the world teaches one thing, and Jesus teaches the exact opposite. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So I'm going to ask John to come up and lead us in celebration of the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 